Father, we are grateful for Christ, his coming, his living, his dying, his resurrection, and we'll reflect on his death and resurrection a little later when we have communion, but ascending to your right hand, and in him we have a great high priest. As we interact with your word this morning, we want to be hearing your word, attentive to your word, so that we can live for your glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Sharing an account from someone in another country that experienced persecution. The writer says, Eugene told how someone he suspected the same policeman had punctured his tires with a screwdriver and smashed his windshield with a hammer. He told how his children were regularly ridiculed in front of their classmates for coming from a believing family. Keeping his children after school, school administrators would tell them, it is because of your father, your father's a minister that you're being embarrassed in front of your classmates. That is also why you don't have any friends. The communists effectively or evidently believed that if they could demean and discredit the parents' beliefs, they could turn the children against their parents. And if they could do that, the churches would die within one generation. The Western reporter who had heard Eugene's story was appalled. He told him, what the government is doing to you and your family is not right. We need to tell your story in our magazine so we can get people to pray for you. Oh, please don't do that, Eugene exclaimed. These things have happened to me and my family are normal here. It is only a small cross for us to bear. Someday if you should hear that I am imprisoned, tortured, and being threatened with death, maybe then you can make my story public. Maybe then your government could intervene for us. And then maybe people could pray for us. But not now. We don't want to embarrass our persecutors and cause more trouble by making a big deal out of such small things. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. As we read 1 Peter 4, 1 through 6, keep in mind that the people to whom Peter is writing are experiencing some persecution. And the persecution is not coming from the government. Might be a neighbor, might be a co-worker, might be a family member. He also emphasizes the fact that in Christ, they have a changed identity. 1 Peter 4, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, 
orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they may be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Peter continually reminds his hearers about who they are in Christ and that they need to see a new way of seeing themselves and allow that to motivate them in their behavior. In the previous section, that would be 18 through 22, Peter explained the suffering of Christ. He also explained that there might be suffering And that suffering is not a sign of weakness. And to understand this passage, verses 1 through 6, I think we have to understand some of the beliefs of the first century. Pagans of the first century would have viewed Christians as killjoys, who lived gloomy lives, devoid of pleasure. The pleasures from which Christians of the first century typically abstain were the more popular forms of Roman entertainment. The theater with its off-collared performances, the chariot races, and the gladiatorial fights with the blood and the gore. Christian lifestyle also condemned the pleasures of an indulgent temper, sex outside of marriage, drinking, slander, lying, covetousness, and theft. These attitudes towards a contemporary Roman customs and morals combined with the Christian's belief, a refusal, I'm sorry, to burn incense to the emperor, which would be a gesture of civil gratitude to ensure the well-being of the empire. Therefore, they were reputed as being haters of humanity and traitors to the Roman way of life. And that's not a new problem. It's not an old problem. What to do with old behaviors and lifestyles is an issue today. When someone comes to Christ, how do you lay aside your old lifestyle with its behaviors and some of the thoughts and so on? How do you relate to people with whom you related before, but you don't want to participate in some of the evil that you may have participated in before? Peter reminds his hearers that human judgments are not the last word because God will judge everyone, not just those who believe in him. And that is brought out very clearly. Peter says, therefore, in verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself with the same attitude. Because he has suffered in his body, is done with sin. Therefore, since Christ, I think it refers back to verses 18 through 22, where Christ suffered in the body. But yet that suffering in the body yielded victory because the text stated in verse 22 that God 
For Christ is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers under him. Therefore, would tie in with, again, verse 18, once for all sacrifice, so that Peter's hearers and people today can be redeemed from their empty way of life. Ties in with Christ's suffering. That was for purification, according to chapter 1 and verse 22. Purification from sin. Therefore, ties in with Christ in his victor, victory. Verse 22. Jesus is going into the heavens and is at God's right hand with angels and authorities and powers in submission to him. In light of that, in light of Christ and what he has done, he says, arm yourself. The idea of arming yourself is to prepare yourself for battle, to be equipped. It is a disposition that has a right mindset which results in action which is correct. Have the same mindset as Christ. And I want to impress upon us again, as I do it numerous times, don't read Scripture merely as I. Read Scripture as being addressed to bodies of believers. And he would be saying to groups of believers, arm yourselves. So sometimes we may say, I'm okay, but are we as a body okay? Arm yourselves. With the same attitude. He says, arm yourselves with the same attitude. Same attitude as Christ. Christ had a humble submission to his Father. The Father knows best. He submitted to him. The attitude involved suffering. Peter's here suffered, but Christ suffered. And the mindset of Christ was willing to suffer to be obedient to his Father. You as hearers, or I think believers today, be willing to suffer for Christ's sake. Accept it. Don't resist it. Suffering was a large part of Christ's call on earth as he obeyed. He was rejected time and time again. And then we know he went to the cross. It involved suffering. Same attitude. Christ's suffering resulted in victory over sin. Which Peter, which believers experience. Christ suffered, provided victory. Suffering has a goal victory over sin, in terms of Christ. Suffering is God's method to judge, to conquer sin through Christ in believers. Peter writes to believers who are suffering, and he says, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. Don't resist suffering due to being obedient to Christ. 
embrace it. Arm yourself with the same attitude as Christ had. Why? Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Ponder that. He who has suffered in his body is done with sin. There's some discussion and some debate concerning this passage and how to interpret it. But let's try to understand it in its context. The context would seem to limit the suffering which primarily comes due to obedience to God's will for believers. And there's suffering beyond that, but in the, this context, it seems to be tied in with suffering because of one's belief in Christ. And if you look at chapter 3, or I'm sorry, chapter 1 and verse 13, Therefore, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled. Set your hope fully in the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. A prepared mind, self-controlled, setting one's hope or grace, setting the hope and the grace to be given, not conforming to evil desires. Involves some suffering. Look at chapter 2. In verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans. That though they accuse you of doing wrong. They may see your good deeds and glorify your God. Glorify God on the day he visits us. Again the idea of suffering. Due to living holy. In chapter 3 and verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Verse 17, it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. The context seems to be, prepare your minds for suffering. Because he who suffers in the body is done with sin. He's not dealing primarily with normal physical suffering in a fallen world. Although suffering physically in a fallen world can have a very beneficial impact. It would seem to involve the physical, the emotional, the mental, the relational battles that come as one is seeking to live for God and experiencing difficulty. He says... The one who suffers in his body is done with sin. Done means to cease, to leave off. Sin is basically, in the text here, missing the point of life, which is a relationship with God. You're done living in a way that misses the point of life, a relationship with God. Willingness to lay that aside. It seems suffering due to obedience. Obeying God changes one's desire for sin. We may be tempted, but sin has little attraction. The shallowness of sin 
is seen. I've read a fair number of books over the years, and in the last year read a fair number also about persecution in other countries. And the joy that they express because they have the privilege of suffering for Christ. And when they're given opportunity to deny Christ, they say, no, if I have to, I'll go to prison again and again to follow Christ. Because sin does not have a lot of attraction. What is better than knowing God, knowing Christ? Sin takes on a different connotation. Desire does not drag one away and entice as it may have in the past. The direction of one's life is set in obedience to the Lord. I want to obey God. It's resulted in some physical suffering. I want to obey Him more. I don't want to turn back to sin in any way. (coughs) One writer concludes that those who suffer unjustly because of their faith in Christ have demonstrated that they are willing to be through or done with sin by choosing obedience, even if it means suffering. Although it is true that sin eventually but inevitably leads to suffering, obedience to God may lead to unpleasant consequences as well. This sometimes is overlooked by those who understand following Christ is only the path to blessing, if not to health and wealth. Peter's hearers faced the choice of either taking the path of least resistance going along with the values, norms, and practices that were acceptable and expected by their society or being obedient to God and suffering the consequences of criticism and condemnation by unbelieving family and friends. Their willingness to suffer this way demonstrates that they have resolved to be through with sin. The direction of one's life, firmly set to obedience to Christ, no matter what results, is where Peter is coming from. Sin loses its pull. One experiences being blessed. I've been reading about Chinese believers who have been going through persecution and spending three or four years in prison. And they get out after serving their time. And they come back to bodies of believers, small house, churches, and say, we've been blessed. The privilege of suffering for Christ. And as they're asked by Westerners, would you avoid prison again? If it meant you had to give up Christ. No, we'll gladly get through another three or four years in prison. 
because we love God. That's faith. See, Peter said in verse 14, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. The privilege of being blessed and suffering for Christ stands in contrast to desiring sin. Peter says the suffering helps you lay aside sin. And please understand that suffering is not limited to other countries. In the last couple of weeks, I had a number of people, as they exited after the service, say to me, Pastor, I understand. And briefly mentioned some things they have experienced just because of their faith. In Christ. Oh, no prison. But some, what we would call, persecution. Peter says, He who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. He does not live He desires to be in Christ. Live in light of being in Christ. Not being involved in what the pagans do. For the rest of his earthly life, he doesn't want to live for evil human desires. But rather for the will of God. A willingness to suffer due to following Christ. And we looked at some of the passages earlier. Just the desire to obey God. Suffering for Christ has good consequences. Blessed? Questions directed at you? Or at the local church? And you're done with sin. Peter already mentioned being blessed in verse 14 of chapter 3. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Questions directed at you in verse 15 of chapter 3. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And then done with sin. Chapter 4. And verse 1. From what I've read and interacting with some people about those who are persecuted for, for their faith, that they have such a resolve and a lack of fear. This is the practical outworking of a willingness to suffer. Suffering for Christ changes one's values. Suffering due to persecution, whether physical or emotional, seems to be good in that it destroys one's desire to sin. It kills it. At least kills the desire to to act on it. 
Sin has little attraction to those who have or are suffering for Christ. Who would want to escape persecution when there is such great value? I think we Americans struggle in understanding the value of persecution. Persecution that it comes just due to being holy and obedient. We almost fear it. Today, in our culture, we tend to look to methods church structure, church form, worship style, music, programs to bring change. These items in and of themselves don't change hearts. It's the gospel that changes hearts. It's the gospel that brings people to the point of being willing to suffer for Christ. Should we, and I'm posing it as a question and I'm not looking for an answer, but think about it. Should we pray for some suffering in the American church? Just a thought, so that we will be blessed. So that there will be questions directed at us, and we're done with sin. Just think about that. We have so much, but yet there's value in suffering. I'm not saying you should pray for suffering in our country, but think about the value of it. We are so tempted in our country to avoid suffering. We're tempted to to be slow to say no to anything that might paint us in a bad light by unbelievers because they might come back at us. We long for, and sometimes I think we demand political change so that we don't go through suffering. We want our constitutional rights. I'm not saying that's wrong to desire that. But are we living in light of fear? Are we living with confidence, seeing the value of arming ourselves with the same attitude of, as Christ had, and recognizing that as there is suffering because of obedience to Christ, we can be done with sin. So we live our lives with a passion to be obedient to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for Christ. Sometimes it's hard for us just because we have not been through a lot of it to grasp some of what Peter is writing because our culture is different. 
May we just live well today and tomorrow and the days to come in a deep, deep sensitivity to you. And if we get through some difficulty because of our faith in Christ, may we count ourselves blessed. If greater difficulty were to come, may we count ourselves blessed. Be ready to give an answer and let ourselves be more and more done with sin. We thank you that in Christ, our identity has changed. And as we remember Christ and his death through the Lord's Supper, we again want to step back mentally and be so thankful for what we have in Christ. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.